Psalm 98 as we continue our series, Do You Hear What I Hear? I want to brag on the Lord just for a moment before we get started. One of the things we talk about here at Living Hope often is that we're living in the middle of a miracle, and I love to celebrate big things and little things that God does in our midst. And so uh, two weeks ago, we had the board from an organization that we've partnered with for five years um, called One Dublin. So they're an organization just up the street from us. They're actually, if you've been following along in our prayer guide, our 21 days of prayer, they're who we're praying for today as a church. Um, But they provide clothing, they provide food, utility assistance, housing assistance, so many things for people all across Northwest Columbus. And so they came to see our Finding Hope Center, and they've partnered with us in that for the past couple of years. They send us twin mattresses every month and just spend a lot of money to help further our mission. But it was just kind of uh, good for the soul because this week, I think it was on Tuesday, we got a letter in the mail, and it was a financial donation from One Dublin, their nonprofit organization, investing financially into our nonprofit organization. And uh, that just encouraged me, and it just, man, it just to thank the Lord for that, that uh, we have over, I believe, over now 15 different organizations that are partnering with us in varying capacities to make our ministry center move forward And uh, two years ago, it was just a couple of us, but God keeps multiplying that um, for his glory, which I think is pretty awesome. So Psalm chapter 98, we're going to look at a song uh, song today called Joy to the World. We just sang it a few minutes ago, and uh, I'm going to blow your minds here in just a second, hopefully in a good way. So if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, um, if you're willing and able to stand, Psalm chapter 98, we're going to read verses 4 through 9, and God's word says this through David. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant, shout for joy, and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the melodious song. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it resound. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains shout together for joy. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray now as we walk through this passage uh, together, Lord, and we explore this classic song, Joy to the World, that your spirit would be among us, that you would teach us, God, that you'd mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we wouldn't leave here the same. So God, we ask you, God, would you give us open ears to hear from the scriptures today, not just open ears, but receptive hearts, and God, even beyond that, we want to walk in obedience to Jesus with the very things we encounter in your word today. So it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, hey, my life was turned upside down this week in a very unique way. I'm going to be honest, it was a little bit of a a funny way, not because anything major happened, but because I made an extremely significant discovery. And i got to explain this to you. We've got another movie i got to talk about for just a second. In 1994, a movie released, it was not a true story, but a movie about a man who, despite things stacked against him in life, goes on to do a variety and kind of coincidental variety of things. He goes on to do things like becoming the top kick returner for the University of Alabama. Past that, he goes on to meet President John F. Kennedy. He went on to fight in the Vietnam War with the U.S. Army. You guys know what movie I'm talking about yet? Champion ping pong player. He bought a shrimping business where he learned there was a variety of kinds of shrimp, fried shrimp, barbecued shrimp, peeled shrimp, And he even invested in the early days of a company known as Apple, which he called some kind of a fruit company. And ultimately, he married the love of his life, a lady named Jenny. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Forrest Gump. 
you haven't seen it, I, I don't promote it. But there's a movie for you. And there's a famous line in that movie, and my life was totally changed this week. Do you guys remember what the famous line is? I think it's going to be up on our screen. That life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Blow your minds for a second. That's not what he said in the movie. He actually didn't say life is like a box of chocolates. Instead, and you're going to think I'm a liar, the actual phrase was, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. I'm going to prove it to you. Watch this clip real fast. I don't normally do this, but watch this. My name's Forrest, Forrest Gump. Do you want a chocolate? I could eat about a million and a half of these. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You might be thinking, what's the point? Let me show you another one. Um, you guys ever seen the movie Snow White, the classic movie Snow White? We've all seen that before. And there's a scene in that movie, we're not going to play it because she summons this weird thing out of a mirror, but in that movie, do you remember the classic line, what does the evil queen say to the mirror in the movie Snow White? Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? What if I told you that's not what she said? The line actually goes like this. You can look this up after church this morning. She actually says, magic mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And I went down this like rabbit trail this week, this rabbit hole of finding all of these things that we've come to know as common knowledge, but they don't really exist in the world as we think that they do. If you've never heard of this before, it's a fun thing to look up. It's actually known as the Mandela Effect where masses and millions of people believe something to historically be true, but it actually is not true at all, and it never happened the way that so many of us remember it. Here's another one for you, and it ties into our series this morning. What if I told you that one of the most popular Christmas songs in history, Joy to the World, is not actually a Christmas song at all? Joy to the World traditionally in Christmas music charts every year for the last several couple hundred years has ranked on the top 10 of all Christmas music, but it's not actually a Christmas song at all, despite being sung by the masses of people all around the world every Christmas season. What if I told you that this song was never intended to be a Christmas song, and as you look at the lyrics, you'll see that it's not actually a Christmas song at all. Let me give you a little history to our song today as we uh, do in this series. Joy to the World was written in the year 1719 by an English hymn writer by the name of Isaac Watts. Many people believe Isaac Watts to be the greatest hymn writer that has ever walked the planet. He published over 750 different hymns over the span of his lifetime. What makes his story interesting and where this song was actually born from was Isaac Watts grew up in a very religious home. He grew up in a church culture where he lived, where worship really consisted of, they would take a psalm from the book of Psalms, or they would take a section of scripture, then they would put music to it, and that's what you would sing. So whatever the scripture said verbatim, that's exactly what you would sing. 
But as a young man, it's quoted that Isaac Watts went to talk to his father about this. He grew up in that church culture, and he told his dad, he said, the worship that I'm experiencing seems very boring, it seems lifeless, and it's a style of worship that is unengaging to the people in the congregation. To the point where he was quoted as one time saying that he was actually concerned about the salvation of people in his church because of how unengaged they were in the practice of worship in the weekly gathering. This bothered him. And he went to his dad and he talked to him about it. And I love what his dad told him to do. His dad issued him a challenge. He said, if it bothers you so much, then do something about it. Goodness, that would ring. We could just stop right there. That's a lesson for us all. If it bothers you so much, do something about it. He told his son, Isaac Watts, if you want to see worship look different, then write new songs to change it. So he spent his entire life, the rest of his life, writing hymns with really a twofold purpose. He wanted to write songs that exalted Jesus and that pointed the hearts of Christians to the saving work of Jesus, to salvation. Pretty much all of the songs that he wrote pointed to the gospel. He wanted to captivate our hearts again to the saving work of Jesus. One of the things he was known for is this book right here, known as the Psalms of David. And what he would do is he would take the Psalms of David in our Old Testament and he would rewrite them into songs as they, to make them point to Jesus. If you didn't know this, the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation points to the saving work of Christ, including the Psalms. And this is one of his most famous works, the Psalms of David in the language of the New Testament. He wanted to point to the work of Christ through David's writing. But this pursuit of writing this new kind of worship ultimately led him to Psalm chapter 98, the one that we just read a moment ago. And from Psalm 98 is where he got the inspiration and the outline for our song that we just sang a moment ago, Joy to the World. Psalm 98, we actually see that joy to the world wasn't rooted in the Gospels. Joy to the world was actually rooted in the Old Testament writings of David. And if you read Psalm 98 on its own, uh, not in light of Christmas, what you actually find is that Psalm 98 is a prophetic song, meaning it's a psalm about the future, about the second coming of Jesus and the eternity that awaits followers of Christ. What actually gripped Isaac Watts was verse 4 of Psalm 98. It'll be up on the screen where David wrote these words. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. That looked different than the worship that he was experiencing. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant. Shout for joy and sing. And that passage captivated Isaac Watts and it became the anchor for our song, Joy to the World. Not a song simply about Christmas. There is a small part of this song that is about the Christmas that we celebrate this season. But rather, he sought out to write a song that complemented Psalm 98 about the saving work of Jesus coming to redeem the world and to save his people. So Joy to the World can be seen in four parts. We'll walk through these rather quickly. Four parts all centered around hope. The first is this, it's our past hope. Our past hope. We're going to see again, like we did last week, we can put those up there, the, the lines from this song, Joy to the World. It's a little bit different than the version that we just sang. Uh, we sang a more contemporary version. This is the more classic version. But I want us to, to walk through this and see how it's anchored in the Word of God. So while this song is about the second coming of Jesus, it starts, Isaac Watts starts us by looking back on the first coming of Jesus, Christmas Day. In church circles, this is known as the first advent of Christ. And he starts here in stanza one, and he looks at the first Christmas as seen in Matthew chapter one, where God stepped out of heaven, we said last week, and took on flesh, the incarnation of Christ, 
on a rescue mission for sinners like you and like me. Look at Matthew 1, verse 21. This is kind of an anchor verse for us last week. That Mary will give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. At our FCA club this past Friday, we're spending the next couple of weeks looking at the different names of Jesus in the Christmas story. It's so interesting to me. Um, sometimes names we can overlook in our culture. Names matter in the scriptures. So I actually went around the room, and kids were telling me like what their names meant, and it was kind of fun to hear their different things, and then I told them that, my, I've told you before, my name means mountain, and I was like, that's obvious, right? And like it was a resounding head shake of no. <laughs> like, love you too, guys, right? But names matter. The name of Jesus, it matters, and it's significant. Look at verse one of joy to the world. We see in line one, it says, joy to the world, the Lord, that's a reference to Jesus. Now, there's a significant word here. If, in, if you're writing these down, or this is familiar to you, the Lord is come. Take note of that. This is important because we're going we're gonna to sing this here in a few minutes, and I didn't check the lyrics in our computer, so if this is wrong, get in there and change it, Seth, all right? But the original version of this song, written by Isaac Watts, did not say the Lord has come. When Mariah Carey did this song in 1994, that's how she, she did it, and she's wrong, all right? I know she's the queen of Christmas, but she was wrong. The, the actual original version says that the Lord is come. It's an old English style of writing like we saw last week in our first song. The Lord is come. This matters. And if you're a note taker, write this stuff down. That means, that word, what Isaac is communicating here, it means that Jesus did come. It means that Jesus is here. And it means that Jesus will come again. What Isaac Watts was communicating to us is the eternal nature of the reign of Jesus. Listen to what Gabriel told Mary in the original Christmas story in Luke 1. He said that Jesus will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus is the king of an eternal kingdom. Now listen to this. Because Jesus did come, because Jesus is resurrected, Because Jesus did rise again, we now have the opportunity in verse 3, line 3 of Joy to the World, to prepare room for him in our lives. That line is not a reference to the innkeeper. P.S., the innkeeper's not in the Bible. If you didn't know that, every Christmas play that you see, you see some little kid with a beard come walking out, I've got no room for you in my hotel, baby Jesus and Mary, sorry. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't exist. Some of y'all that's wrecking your world, Forrest Gump was a big deal. I know that's even a bigger deal, right? It's not in the Bible. Just That's a side note. But we have the opportunity because the Lord is come. He has come. And he, he died for us and resurrected for our sake to prepare room in our lives for him. You see, the Christmas story makes salvation possible. 2 Timothy 3, verses 3 and 4. Paul says this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everybody everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We said last week, and this is important to remember, that the first Christmas was the start of God's plan for redemption for humanity from sin. But look at at that. Can we put the lines of the song up? Notice this. Let every heart prepare him room. And then what happens in verse 4? The focus shifts from us to creation. The focus shifts from us to creation because we're gonna, we want to prepare room in our hearts for what Jesus has done and invites us into. But then what happens? Creation starts to sing to God. Why? Because the, the Christmas story was not just for our salvation and redemption from sin. 
But the Christmas story was also the start of creation being redeemed from the effects of sin. Y'all, that matters. Look at this in Romans 8, verses 20 through 22. Paul wrote of this. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor, t- labor pains until now. Because of mankind's fallen state and our sin, the effects of sin doesn't only affect us, it affects all of creation. And when Jesus came on that first advent, not only was he, was he coming to set us free from sin, but he was coming to set creation free from the effects of sin as well. We look to the past in the first stanza of this song. Now, let's look to our present hope, the second stanza. Our present hope is informed by our past hope. So what's our present hope? Verse 1 of stanza 2, what's it say? Joy to the earth, the Savior, that's Jesus, Jesus reigns. This is a present reality for us. Here's a little bit of theology for you this morning. If this bores you, and get over it. This is good stuff. The present reality is Jesus is not just coming to reign someday. He didn't just come as a baby, and then he's going to come later to come back and get us. But the Christmas story sets in motion, this is good preaching, Pastor Joe, you ready for this? The Christmas story sets in motion the ruling and the reigning of Jesus in our lives right now. Jesus didn't come once, leave, and then he's coming back again. Jesus came once, he's ruling and reigning in our lives now, and then he will come again to take us all home. That's good theology right there. Look at what Ephesians 1 says, that he exercised his power in Christ by raising Jesus from the dead, seating him at the, his right hand in heaven, far above every ruler in authority and power and dominion. Did you all know that nobody's better than Jesus? No thing in the heavenlies or under the earth has more authority than Jesus Christ. And every title given, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he subjected everything under the feet of Jesus and appointed him as head over everything and the church. Think about this with me for just a second. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross after that first Christmas, when you and I make the conscious decision to repent of sin, put our faith in Jesus, the Bible says in Romans 8 that the spirit of Jesus Christ comes to dwell inside of us. Do you know why partially that is? It's the kingdom of Jesus expanding its dominion on this earth through our lives. It's Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in our lives and working through us all across the earth. And when that happens, lines three through six of this, we have the opportunity now to join in creation and giving Jesus the praise that he deserves. Right now, creation is praising God. Did you know when you walk outside in the morning and you see a a sunrise, that's the sun giving praise to God. When you see a bird chirping and singing its song, that is that bird giving praise to God. When you see a a creek trickling down and you hear the sound of that creek, that is that creek giving praise to God. You say, Aaron, you're a liar. I'm not a liar. Psalm 19 says so, that the heavens declare the glory of God. The expanse proclaims the work of his hands. And day after day, creation is pouring out speech. Night after night, communicating knowledge of what? Of the glory of God. Creation still praises God. And creation longs for the second coming of Jesus Creation desires for Jesus Christ to come back. And so when Jesus indwells our lives, we get to join in the chorus of creation, seeking out the redemption that will ultimately be found in the second coming of Jesus. 
This stuff amps me up. I'm going to need to be one of those preachers with the little towel that like dabs his forehead. Gracious. The rescue from mission for sinners is underway. The cross happened. Death was defeated. Jesus can rule and reign in my life and your life and have dominion over all things. Joy to the world stands at two. Causes us not just to look to the past. We look to the present. And we see that right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning. But point number three, we have a future hope. This is my favorite stanza in this whole song. It's an interesting tension that we live in, in stanza three. Because while we know, based on the authority of Scripture, and then also what Isaac Watts wrote in stanza two, we know that Jesus is ruling and reigning now. We know, based on the authority of Scripture, that sin is a defeated foe. But we still feel the effects of sin in our daily lives. I had written these words earlier this week, not knowing what this week would hold for so many in our congregation. But just thinking through things about the sting of death that has been felt through our church this past week. The sting of death that's been felt in the network of churches that we're a part of. Relational things that people are dealing with, strain and conflict. Health issues that people are having to overcome and walk through. Other circumstances that our church family is dealing with that so much is that echo of the sting of sin, the effects of sin, that we know in our hearts that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things, but the reality is the effects of sin still echo through our lives. And in many ways, we see the reality of those in our lives and our culture. We feel the pain of them. We feel the weight associated and the burden of sin and death especially this time of year when so many of those emotions are amplified. But I'm reminded not only of the present hope we have in Jesus Christ, but joy to the world reminds us of the future hope we have too. Church family, I want us to hear this today, that a day is coming where the effects of sin will be no more. Look at what he wrote in verse one, or lines one and two. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He's looking at Genesis 3 and the effects of sin on the earth. But we're reminded according to the word of God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, talking of Jesus. But this man, after, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, what did Jesus do? He sat down at the right hand of God in absolute completion of what he came to do, to redeem sinners from their sins and to set in motion the redemption of all creation. And now what is Jesus doing? He's waiting until his enemies, that's death, that's sin, that's hell, that's the grave. He's waiting until his enemies are what? They're made his footstool, meaning they will be subjected completely and wholly for all eternity under the authority of Christ, that someday a day will come where the curse of sin will be cast away forever and the righteousness of Jesus will take over completely. Let's not lose hope. Take note of line three. If we could put that back up there, please. It says that he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. You see, we know according to Genesis chapter 3 that when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and chose to allow disobedience to creep into their lives, that the effects of sin have forever flowed out from Eden. And it's flowed into every corner and crevice of 
our world and we feel it and we see it and we experience the effects of sin. But we're reminded here in Joy to the World, but we're also reminded in the scriptures that just as far as the curse of sin flowed from Eden, so too will the grace and righteousness of Jesus flow even further someday. It's a good reminder for us. The Bible says in Revelation 21 verse 4 that a day will come that Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. Isn't that good news? I know many of you are tired of crying. There will come a day where death will be no more. Isn't that good news? I know many of you are tired of saying goodbye. Where grief and crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. You see, the first Christmas on that night in Bethlehem set in motion Jesus defeating sin, death, and the grave but it also reminds us that we can fix our eyes on the future because he will come again. And you know how we know that's true? Because he said so. And when he does, his righteousness will flow again. Church, don't lose heart. Sin will be no more and Jesus will reign forever and we will fully be able to realize that again. But it doesn't stop there. His reign echoes into eternity. Point number four, and we close with this. It's our eternal hope. It's our eternal hope. This last stanza here, as Watts wrote it, was really a reflection of the last two chapters of our New Testament, Revelation 21 and 22, where for just a moment the Lord pulls back the curtain on eternity to the Apostle John, and we're given this glimpse of Jesus' eternal reign. And this is what Isaac Watts is writing here in these verses when he says that Jesus will rule the world with truth and grace, and the nations will prove the glories of his righteousness, that someday nations from all over the earth will gather under the mantra that Jesus saves and they will worship him forever and then we will glory in the wonders of his love. That was taken directly from the scriptures, Revelation 21. This is going to be a lot of scripture, but there's power in the word of God. Listen to this. Speaking of eternity, that the city, this is where we'll dwell for all eternity, does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. Hey, isn't it good news that darkness someday will be no more? And you know why? Because Jesus is there. And the nations, this is what Isaac Watts was referring to, will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates of this city will never close by day because it will never be night there. I mean, that's a physical reality of like, look, there will never be darkness, but there's a spiritual thing there too. Sin will be cast away forever and never exist again. Verse 26, and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. They've been cast out, but only those there are those written in the book of life. Revelation 22, verses 3 and 5 says that there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. There it is again. And people will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever, forever and ever. The dominion of Jesus will be in heaven, and the people will gather from all nations to worship him. We long for that. Isaac Watts reminds us that Jesus will rule with truth and grace, meaning that for eternal eternity, we, we will be forever in awe of the love that Jesus had for his people, that he didn't have to come after us on that first Christmas, but he set the rescue mission in motion. And because that's true, we sing joy to the world.
Let me encourage us as we sing here in just a moment. When we sing joy to the world, we're not singing necessarily just to look back on a stable in Bethlehem. Rather, joy to the world is meant to be a declaration of the church, of the hope that started at Christmas. We see that in the first line, but in every stanza following, what are we to do? We're crying out a promise that God made to us. That because the first advent of Jesus happened, that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the second one is going to happen too. And that although we still feel the effects of sin in the world around us, that someday Jesus will come and take us home. Someday he's coming back for his church. And what a day that's going to be. Can I pray for us? God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I pray... Lord, that you would just, even in this moment, help us to see some of the songs that have become so common in new light. God, we thank you for the scriptures and the promises that we have. That, Lord, even though we still feel the effects of sin in the world around us, that we are not a people without hope. But, God, we are a people of hope. That because our God came once for us already, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's going to come back and get us again. And so, God, in the meantime, in that space between, I pray that the truth of your spirit residing inside of us would be something that we would all experience through the repenting of our sins and giving our lives back over to you. I pray that's true for each one of us today. But, God, I also pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on heaven, onto the eternal hope that we have, and God, even though we feel the effects of sin around us now, may you continually remind us in that still voice in our hearts that this isn't the end and that heaven awaits us because you said so. I pray that our voices now are a sweet sound through the throne room of heaven this morning as we give Jesus the praise that he deserves. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. Amen.